like Quinn said, you're not just doing numbers. He communicates with lenders. He communicates with insurance and then questions for brokers. So it's constantly making a business plan. Like when you say underwriting, you're not really thinking like business plan. You're just thinking of this little template, you know? So it's a whole plan that's going to continue to change. Like you said, I'm not just an underwriter. I would consider myself an acquisition specialist. And then even after somebody that that is still learning and progressing towards asset management, being able to actually convert a property from day one closing to the actual sale. Welcome to the Lion's Den, the real estate podcast for perspicacious investors who know they have the strength to succeed in the lucrative commercial multifamily industry. Gain expert advice on your way to becoming a top performer. I'm your host, Adam Parrish. I have two of my co-hosts today, Lisa Parrish and Fia Mosley. How are you two doing today? Great. Great. And we have a special guest today, the lead underwriter for AM Multifamily, Quinn Hall. How are you doing? Doing great, man. Yay. Excited to have him on here. Quinn, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, Sure. Yeah. My name's Quinn Hall, born and raised in Twin Falls, Idaho. I'm about, I'll be 32 years old here in July. We have been on a journey with me and my five other partners, including Adam, Eric, and and both the parish, Lisa and, and Greg in this multifamily spectrum now for about two years. It has been a heck of a journey. Um, we are about to have some major news coming up here soon, so so stay tuned for that. But yeah, we've been going down a road now to try and try and make multifamily money and uh, it's happening, so thanks for having me. And unfortunately, Donato couldn't make it. Oh yeah. Unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> People are going to be disappointed. I think Is they Donato, stay tuned I, in for Donato. No, I feel like I'm missing out. The pressure's on. I know. I know. He's normally the he's normally the talker. He's the one that he's the one that steals the show. I love it. So. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Quinn is kind of our um, secret weapon behind the scenes. He's not out in the public as much as we are, but he carries a really big load for our team he does so much more than just underwriting which i'm sure we'll get into here in a second when what's the word of the day so the word of the day is is risk the reason i chose risk is essentially everybody looks at underwriting as nothing but uh numbers that you can just simply just analyze and you know it's black and white when in all reality it's so far from what i do and i, I think from what most successful underwriters do we evaluate risk. We're evaluating whether or not our investors are going to get the returns that, that they're wanting along with us and then see how far up the upside risk can be. Can we actually make money on this thing or not? So Forbes, they define risk as the possibility that an investment will fail to achieve an expected return. In other words, risk represents the potential for an asset to lose some or all of its value. As most savvy investors know that risk and return, they're pretty much directly proportional, right? The riskier the investment, the greater the returns. The less risky the investment, the less the returns you're typically gonna get. The obstacle of today's episode is deal underwriting. 
how do I analyze and assess multifamily opportunities? So the first main question of the day is for Quinn. What are the key metrics to look for when analyzing a multifamily property? That's a really tough question. Everybody would like that to be just black and white and put out there so that everybody can go and look for these specific metrics. I would say that it really depends on what type of investor you are. Once again, what type of risk you are willing to take. Are you looking for a turnkey property? Are you looking for a value-add investment? Are you looking for affordable housing? Or are you looking for A-class properties on the beach, say, or in a highly, highly desirable location? These are all factors that are going to determine how you underwrite it and analyze a property. So, or how much experience you have as well. Correct. Yeah. It just breaks down to so many different measures. And also we're specifically talking about multifamily today, but at the same time, you know, analyzing a, a multifamily property versus a single family property, those are going to be two completely different underwritings that you're going to have to do, right? Just speaking from our standpoint, we at, at AM Multifamily Investments, we like to keep it simple. We are specifically value-add investors. We typically look for 1980s products, specifically in the Northeastern Texas market. Uh, but that's just our criteria, right? And these criteria is for us heavily rely on our sponsorship. So, you know, the wonderful people that, you know, two of them that we have right here on in the actual podcast. Um, and we're very, very lucky to have these people. But, you know, that's why we specifically underwrite and look for metrics in those areas. I would say if you're breaking down specific metrics for us specifically, we're looking for certain numbers like an ARR above an 18% and IRR above a 15% cash on cash as of today above a 6%, but that's always going to change. I think, I think as markets change and we're seeing this a lot today, especially a year ago, we would have loved to see a to 9% cash on cash, but with it being 2020, Three and the debt market where it's at today, it's it's a little bit tougher. You know, same thing. I'd love to see a DSCR above 1.35% so that we could actually make sure that we get a debt coverage service and are able to get permanent financing for a Fannie or Freddie loan. But once again, with debt market the way it is, you have to learn to adapt and be able to figure out ways that, you know, whether or not you're able to take on more risk and come in potentially with bridge lenders to get to permanent financing or assume loans that, that are out there or just get creative with your financing. So analyzing multifamily properties, it really just, like I said, it depends on what your risk level is. Mm -hmm. Can you explain ARR and IRR? Yeah, so your ARR is going to be your average rate of return, right? Your annual rate of return. It actually stands for accounting rate of return. Basically, basically it's all annual. It's all the same. But it is your annual, yeah. Yeah, you're looking at what you're going to return from your investment yearly. It's a pretty easy metric to measure. You just basically, depending on how long you're holding a specific asset or a specific investment, how much you're actually going to return year over year. Does that make sense? Yep. Mm -hmm. How about IRR? So IRR is a little bit different. It's going to be your internal rate of return. It is. It's like the time value of money with inflation. It is really, that's basically what it is. It's your time value. It puts you on the so, spot. So. Yeah. I know, right? True. Yeah. So your IRR is, is basically the same thing as your ARR, just with, with a time stamp basically on it. And then Fia, next question for you. 
How do your relationships with brokers impact Quinn's underwriting process for a particular deal? I would say more the other way around. What Quinn does affects my relationship with the broker. I don't think that's right. What Quinn does more affects my conversation with the broker more than the other way around. So I go and build relationships, get to know them, really getting to know our specific market. So we kind of just stuck to one area starting out. And I get the property from the broker or even off of their website. And then I would give it to Quinn and he starts the underwriting. And that, like kind of simultaneously, Donato starts looking into different things like comps, amenities, and all these things that you're going to put into the underwriting. So it's like the three of us are constantly going like this back to the underwriting template. If Quinn needs to know something that I need to go back to the broker and ask that question, take it back. And then Donato's gathering more information and it comes back. So it's really got to be great communication with you and your teammates. It's got to be consistent. It can't be like a once in a while thing. You know, you really, really have to get an energetic momentum going. And if you have those people in those roles that are able to really synchronize and work well together, then that's where it works out well. Yeah, that works for an answer. Lisa, as a potential sponsor, what are the main items of concern when reviewing a student's underwriting? Um, Okay, so I can only speak to what I'm looking for, you know, in the underwriting. I'm sure other sponsors have their own focus, but of course, we all want to know the Holy Trinity numbers and any You know, we learned this from Dave Lindell, Holy Trinity numbers, meaning cap rate, debt service coverage, and the cash on cash. And then we're also looking at, like Quinn just talked about, the ARR and the IRR as well. We'll review the underwriting with the team's underwriter, with Am, that's Quinn, to make sure that each line item is realistic for the market and the property. And usually your underwriting will give you a rule of thumb. However, many times I find that the rule of thumb has not been updated as the market changes. So I can name a few of the items that new investors need to be aware of changing rapidly, especially in the past two to three years. One would be insurance. That's like a big one. It's the first thing that we're always thinking about because it always seemed to come in higher than we had planned. We had to really start being aggressive with our insurance number. So this is a big one. Insurance has gone up every year since I started in, in the business in 2007. Side note, we will do a podcast on insurance and I can invite Nico, who is our insurance broker for 14 years. But over the past couple of years, insurance has gotten out of hand. For example, when I started as a student with Dave Lindahl in 2007, our rule of thumb for insurance was $250 a door. I don't know if you can believe that. That would be nice. Right. We're now underwriting our deals between like $1,100 and $1,500 a door, depending on the closer to the Gulf of Mexico or the East Coast, typically the higher the insurance because it is higher risk. There's my word. Also, insurance is based on square insurance is based on square footage of the units, not how many units. So our rule of thumb always does how many units, but it's actually based on square footage. So be aware of your area. And if you're buying in a property with very large units, the cost will be higher because of the cost to rebuild. Also, you want to do a loss run runs on the property, which is a history of the losses of the property. Any recent losses typically in the last five years will affect the insurance, especially if it was a big loss or re- and weather related. Then you have taxes. Taxes are another item that you need to be aware of. You must know when or how often the state you are buying in reassesses. 
If they reassess on the sale, make sure you figure in the rate based on the sales price and your underwriting to reflect the increase by year two and adjust your underwriting depending on when the state reassesses. We've only been in three markets, North Carolina, we stayed there for many, many years, and then South Carolina and then Texas. North Carolina was my favorite. We never dealt with reassessment on the sale. So I didn't even, I didn't understand or not understand, but I didn't really get used to that. We've been investing there basically our entire career. They reassess every six to eight years. So it was awesome. We could buy a property. One time we bought a property, they had already just reassessed. And the entire time we owned it, never, taxes never went up. Can you imagine that? Uh, And it would depend on the county, whether it's six or eight years. South Carolina and Texas, though, reassess at the sale. So the first time I bought a South Carolina property in our town, ta- you know, we, we did plan for it. But when I found out how much it was going up, I was like, I don't even know if I, you know, you've got to make sure that you're prepared for that. So that's some of the things that I'm looking for. Um, after the purchase, the property be prepared for a big increase. And side note, make sure you're protesting the tax reassessment if it increases enough to pay the cost to protest. We're in Texas and South Carolina. We're protesting every year. Then there's payroll. Payroll is another one that's real that really went up over the past few years. For some reason, I can't really figure out why the pandemic caused a shortage of workers and the demand for them skyrocketed. And as you know, supply and demand. So the cost of good employees went way up. We used to figure in about $800 a unit, and now we're figuring what went about $1,400. Yeah, I mean, $1,400 would be ideal. We're still seeing properties that are paying over that, though. So, I mean, market, yeah. it could, could well, and that's. I think, that, I, I think that comes down to, you know, rents as well, right? People need to be able to pay their mortgage. They need to be able to pay their bills. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. a lot of it's just inflation. Everything's going up. Rent, payroll, expenses, income. But this is another mar- another thing that's market specific. So your management company will let you know what the salaries would be for your area. You want good employees though. So if your payroll is too low, you'll end up with people that don't know what they're doing and you could lose money. Staff and management is crucial to success in this business, so don't cheap out on payroll. Trust me, bad employees or bad management will put you in a hole, and it's very hard to dig out once you're there. Unfortunately, I have to admit that I know this from experience. There's also reserves, so make sure that you have adequate reserves. We say 250 a door, and that's likely your lender requirement, so keep that in there. But I personally also want to see, this is me as a sponsor, I also want to see that you maybe have, depending on the age of the deal and how much Deferred maintenance, I think that it has another maybe $500 to $1,000 a unit put away. So, you know, that could be a big chunk of change on a bigger deal. But I've just learned the hard way, again, that you'll sleep a lot better having extra money in the bank for whatever you didn't expect to happen or whatever you didn't plan for. And yes, it means you have to raise more money, which is expensive, but you need to take care of your investors. And if you don't have enough money to handle an unforeseen emergency, you would have to do a capital call which we've never had to do. And it's something you definitely want to avoid if you ever want those investors to invest again. Mm-hmm. And the last one I'll me- that I'll mention, and there's others, but this, these are my main ones that I'll mention is CapEx or your rehab plan or capital expenditures. Yeah. Um, the CapEx plan is probably something we could do a whole podcast on. I like to review the plan and make sure that it makes sense. Besides just CapEx, we want to see all value-add opportunities where you can force appreciation and as we all know, when you combine force appreciation with organic or natural appreciation, we maximize our profits. However, in this tighter market, it's more important than ever to buy properties with as much value add as possible because we can't count on organic appreciation like we did in the past. Yeah, good points. Those three things are basically how we find our properties between not great property management, people not raising enough money to be able to cover 
things that need to be fixed and the other thing you mentioned I forgot um but you know that that's how we find our deals basically are those things mm -hmm. Well, exactly. I mean, my favorite value add is bad management. And a lot of times we're buying from these sellers that didn't plan for these items. I think that's what you're saying is they didn't yeah. plan for it. And that becomes our opportunity is that we can take it over. Like the last deal that we bought, those guys did not plan for all the CapEx that the property needed and they went broke. So you don't want, and that happened on our first deal. Our first deal, we didn't raise money for CapEx. We didn't listen to Dave Lindahl. We didn't raise the money for CapEx. <laughs> And we ended up having to reinvest the money back into the deal. Luckily, our investors were really cool about it. It was during the recession. So they were just happy that their money wasn't in, you know, their, the stock markets anymore. But yeah, we want to make sure we're paying our investors. That's obviously what we're doing this for. Yeah. And, you know, as new people getting, or you get into this business and you're so eager to get into a deal that the deal you're talking about in Waco, that's who we bought it from. We bought it from a team that had started syndicating like a year before and you can't be so eager to get into a deal that you you know you either try to what's the word cut down like your sponsor's portion of pay and you think that you can do it yourself mm -hmm. and that is just not true and that's why most newer syndicators end up having lose their deal or they have to sell it because they're there to try to make a certain amount of money rather than learn from people like Lisa and Greg who have been through that a long time ago and been very successful since then. How important is it to have a mentor that's, you know, holding your hand through the entire process? Can you imagine doing it without that? It's nerve wracking. We did it. Not, yeah. Not not at all. They're yeah. even saying On a much like, smaller scale, I would say that would be the way to start for sure. If you were coming into this yourself having a little bit less risk and maybe doing a 10 unit or something like that. But coming in and doing over a hundred units, I mean, you need a mentor. You need somebody that's done. There's just no way it works like that. So. Right. And I don't really agree either that like, I've heard like, oh, you should be able to sponsor your own deals after two deals. Well, I don't know. I mean, I have some very highly intelligent, hardworking people on our team, like Quinn and Donato and, we have never sat there and thought like, oh, okay, because we're on our second deal now. Like, oh, we're just going to sponsor after this. Like, no, <laughs> no, we need, you know, it's like you learn a little bit more every single time. We've definitely been through a lot more on this than the first deal and they're all different. So I just think that really, if you want to do a great job, build your business reputation, you get really awesome sponsors like we have and don't be cocky, I guess. And mitigate risk. You're yeah, definitely you mitigating risk. Back to the word of the day, you know? <laughs> it's such a huge part of our business. I mean, risk really, really is. It, it, people don't realize it. They think, okay, I'm just going to put my money in and invest and make money. But it's at the end of the day, even when you sit down with financial advisors, 401k people, IRA people, it's all about the type of risk that you're willing to take on. You know, if you're willing to risk the bank, then you might come out with some great returns, but if you're not, then just be prepared for lower returns for sure. So, yep. Okay. And this is like the last question, the last main question, Quinn, how does property age condition and location factor into your underwriting? As I explained earlier, underwriting is all incumbent. I'm looking at everything. I'm looking at age, location, the numbers, how that fits for our investors, how that fits for the sponsorship. But 
When it comes down to specifically age, that's one that we are very big on. We don't like to see anything pre-1980s specifically because of the fact that you're going to be dealing with a lot of plumbing issues. You're going to be dealing with electrical issues. You're going to be dealing with roofs that maybe have not been updated over, over the years, whether or not your foundation is in good condition. Depending on where you're investing, do you have moving grounds? Do you have earthquakes? Do you have natural disasters such as floods or tornadoes or anything like that? These are all things that are definitely going to be taken into consideration for underwriting. And it comes down to deal specifics. Where is it? Like I said, where is it located? How old is it? Major factors when it comes down to underwriting. And once again, most people think that underwriting, like I said, is just numbers. <laughs> but in all reality, I do a lot of due diligence before the fact before I even send it off to my due diligence team, simply because of the fact that I don't want to waste their time. So if the age is out, out of range for us or the location, from what I can tell, not being a due diligence specialist doesn't work, then I'm probably not even going to look at the deal. I'm probably not even going to analyze it. So age and location definitely factor into my underwriting massively. And I think uh, if you're not paying attention to that, those are definitely things that you need to pay attention to because as you know, Lisa spoke about earlier, having extra reserves and stuff like that is absolutely necessary, especially when you're dealing with aged properties that, that are going to need plumbing. I mean, I've never had to personally replace an entire complex plumbing. I'm sure Lisa probably has. <laughs> and I'm, but well, you if, know, if you're looking at something, sorry to interrupt just really quick. If you're no, looking you're for something that's in like the mid eighties, then you need to be looking for polybutylene piping. And we have bought a property with polybutylene piping or they call it mm -hmm. polypiping. Uh, that, that is notorious. It was done in the eighties or up until the, I think like mid eighties, but that will get like pinholes in it and mm -hmm. you'll end up with little pinhole leaks. And we have had to actually replace, we did it one by one, but it was like $3,000 a unit. Yeah. Um, so we just did them as it was happening. Capital expenditure budget. So, Absolutely. I mean, depending on how many units you have, that could be anywhere from $300,000 to, to, to 500. So that's a lot of money that needs to be taken into account, especially when it comes to your underwriting. So to, to your point, Adam, yes, age and location are definitely two major factors that I'm looking at when I do underwriting. Mm -hmm. And then how about uh, definitely how ask, oh, go ahead. No, Sorry. you can go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, definitely ask, you know, people that you're considering to have sponsor you, you know, when you're getting into the business, ask them that because I can tell you right now, it's not just Lisa, but, you know, a plethora of other sponsors out there don't want to be doing under 1980 build. Whereas when we started only two years ago, a lot of people would buy in the lower 70s as long as it didn't have a certain type of wiring and plumbing, you know, if it met these standards they would but i don't think at this point with the debt market changing and a couple years have passed i haven't personally met anybody that wants to buy under 1980 I, i'm actually going to say that 1990 is i'm hearing more and i think we're and, leaning more toward the 1990 yeah, we just keep think, moving I, it up yeah, every deal I think we do as the market <laughs> yes. grows and, and things change yeah i definitely yeah. would agree with lisa you know things are going to stay i mean time is it never stops right so consistently we're moving up now once again, that goes down to deal specifics too, right? I mean, I've seen a 1960s property that probably would fit every single portion of criteria because plumbing has been replaced by right. previous piece. Electrical has been replaced. Roofs have been replaced. You know, this property is in 
a magnificent sure. location that's in, within the path of progress. Of uh, Location is key, I really feel like. So, because really if someone else has already done all of that, and they're still value add and you're in a good location, then yeah, I would look at a 60s because we've bought in the 60s. So here's the thing about that is if those things have been replaced, because you're obviously are going to be concerned about electrical and plumbing and roofs and stuff like that. But the 1960s, they built stuff better than they build them now. Yeah. So um, really so did. we had an engineer tell us, you know, when we bought something in the 1960s, it was a nice property and it was the bones were really good because of the fact that it was built in the 60s. Yeah, I mean, wow. even if you That's go further cool. back, you know, 1920s, 1930s, they, I mean, they yeah. just built things different. You know, you look at cars, you look at, you know, anything that's built today, it's all plastic. It's all put up with the cheapest type of material. It really, really is, right? I mean, I'm surprised yeah. we're not making houses out of plastic at this point. So, yeah, I, I, I think that it, once again, deal specifics, everything is going to, it all comes down to what type of risk you're willing to take. And then on top of that, what the deal in itself offers. So, and what's your what's your sponsor? What's your sponsor wants to see? Correct. And then, Unless of course you're just your sponsor in itself, and you can just make those decisions. <laughs> so true. it just it, it really just depends. Yeah, and you also have to factor in rental growth and bad debt, and a lot of that based off of the market that you're in. Uh, yeah, exactly. Of what's in the area. Good point. Then the last two things. The difference between an investor's underwriting, a lender's underwriting, and a sponsor's underwriting, what you show all three of them, it's going to be different. Good yeah. Question. Well, hopefully that, the you know, lenders aren't listening to this, but. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Like, that's a secret. It's kind, of a, it's kind of a touchy subject, especially for us <laughs> GPs, but no, uh, we're not trying to be dishonest with anybody. I think it's, I think it's being fully transparent when it comes to the differences between underwritings, but certainly, I mean, you know, specifically for investors, right? We always want to underpromise and overdeliver. So we're going to come in knowing that we can reach a certain aspect, but we're not going to promise the investor that because we don't want, we don't want to come to a point to where we're not able to reach that metric. Um, so, you know, we, we definitely underpromise to investors. We get it to where it works out for them and then move forward from there. And we're Lenders. not being dishonest or lying about no, it. We're just no. being either more no. aggressive or more conservative. Yeah, exactly. I think yeah. it's just, and every every person, every, you know, once again, it comes down to the risk, right? The investors have, have less risk than what maybe a lender per se is willing to take on, right? Lenders want to see the upside. They want to see what can actually happen on the property. So typically with lenders, we're going to give them those projections that, hey, this is really what we as a GP team think can happen on the property and then have them come in and evaluate themselves. Same thing. Well, with, with, on the, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, so with a lender, you want to make sure that your expenses are lower because if they feel that it's lower, they're just going to bring it up. But if you make it too high, they're not going to lower it. And Correct. then your NOI is going to be too low and your debt coverage is going to be less. And your yeah, your leverage is going to be less. So you want to be definitely more, more conservative on your expensive, more, sure. more conservative on your expenses and more aggressive on your rent increases with the lender and the opposite with investors, because like you said, we're we want to under promise and over deliver with investors. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Any final thoughts? Adam, I love your jacket. <laughs> <laughs> it's lamb. It's lamb. Oh my gosh. Yep. Right. Yeah, <laughs> just think right. that right people ahead. don't, you know, when you're newer to the industry, which is where how this we're what we're gearing this towards, 
is they don't really understand the load that it's not like Quinn said, you're not just doing numbers. He communicates with lenders. He communicates with insurance and then questions for brokers. So it's constantly making a business plan. Like when you say underwriting, you're not really thinking like business plan. You're just thinking of this little template, you know, so it's a whole plan that's going to continue to change. And then once your LOI gets accepted and you get under contract, then you have to send it to the SEC attorney and they tell him to change, you know, fix this or that. And so, and it goes, your plan goes back and forth to these people and it's a lot of work. And I think that's what I want newer people to understand, especially when underwriters are like hopping from team to team that it's a lot of work. And if you're promising five different teams, you'll underwrite for them and someone gets a deal, then everyone else could pretty much go find a new underwriter. They're not gonna have the time for that. I know a lot of experienced teams that actually hire underwriters. My point to that is if you are a student and you are an underwriter, you're calling yourself an underwriter and you're looking for a team to bring value to, Bring more than just being an underwriter. Quinn is way more than just an underwriter. Uh, you know, yes. doing numbers is one thing that you can hire someone to do that, but there's so much more that goes into it. You've really got to understand the numbers. You're not just plugging in from, you know, the rent rolls to, to a spreadsheet. It's much more than that. Yeah. I think, it, I think that breaks down to teams experience and, and team specifics as well. Like I said earlier, if I was to, you know, just underwrite for a brand new team that doesn't necessarily understand underwriting, it's going to do them absolutely no good because they're not going to be able to reiterate that to anybody else. And so that's where the underwriter comes in and actually has to reiterate it. So now where what you just spoke about, an experienced team, right? Somebody that knows what they're doing, somebody that knows how to look at underwriting, analyze underwriting themselves because they understand that language. They're able to take and just use an underwriter to come in and underwrite their property. And then they can go ahead and do the, the full spectrum of the work after. Whereas our team's a little bit different. Not, Pia does, you know, she's, she's been nothing but talking me up this whole time. But it's the same thing. We all do so much different stuff outside of what our main role is, right? You know, she, she does broker relations, but in all reality, she does so much more than that. Mm -hmm. um, same thing with Donato. He does due diligence. He does so much more than due diligence. And I think that's what has translated to the success that we've been able to have simply because of the fact that we, like you said, I'm not just an underwriter. I would consider myself an acquisition specialist. And then even after somebody that that is still learning and progressing towards asset management and being able to actually convert a property from day one closing to the actual sale and have that successful track record to basically be like the great Lisa and Greg over here. So. I, well, we've been, we've been working with you guys for a long time. And one, one thing that I will say that now that I'm getting better at delegating, finally, <laughs> um, I, I have never heard from any, you know, six of you, that's not my job or anything remotely like that you know if I ask you know, and I try to choose which one of you if I'm asking for something or trying to find somebody who's the best for it and I've never heard anybody well maybe you should check with the other person so I think that's great attitude is huge and you guys are very very motivated and I love I love that and everybody knows not to bring <laughs> spreadsheets to me anyways so that works <laughs> out you know it's trivia time now <laughs> Quinn do you know about the trivia time no, I don't, huh? 
No, this is all brand new to me, man. Like I said, first podcast. You've never first, watched uh, our. You never. I've never watched us? your guys's podcast. I wanted to before I got on here, but okay. then I. Well, we I have a like pretty good streak. We more nervous. Got, <laughs> we have a, a solid streak going of every single guest and host has gotten every single trivia question right so far. Okay, so don't mess it up. I'll try not to. Nanette got everyone right. Really? Yeah, every oh. single person. Nobody's ever missed a trivia question yet. Well, now I'm going to feel dumb if I do. But. <laughs> but Quinn, you're only our second guest. so. Oh, okay. Well, this yeah. makes sense. Now. All right. All right Moving on to <laughs> the commercial multifamily lion's den trivia time. <laughs> According to a report by the National Multifamily Housing Council, as of 2021, what percentage of the U.S. population lives in multifamily properties, such as apartments and condos? And nobody's missed a question, huh? Nope. Um, <laughs> All right, so whoever's I'm gonna closest. Say, I'm going to say, it, does it have to be right on the number? Is that, is it no, like, just whoever's closest. I'm going to say. Exact uh, decimal point. I'm going to say, <laughs> and this is this is the whole entire U.S. population, right? Yes. Uh -huh. Yes. Yeah. Whole I would say uh, 42%. Yeah, I was thinking around 40 also. I'm, I'll say 38. Okay, I'm going way different than you guys. I'm going to say 60. And she's uh, probably closer yeah, because... I, I, I could know. be totally wrong. No, homeownership has definitely become uh, a little bit little bit harder within yep. the last year or two. So you might, be, you might be right. Let's see. The correct answer is 37%. Oh, Fia! Oh, I'm always so way, proud of myself. I was when way I made... wrong. I know, right? Yes, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I I live in yeah. an apartment, but I choose to. You know, it's me and my two kids that are older, and I don't want to fix things or have a yard. So it's you know, some some people are just realizing it's not their lifestyle, whereas before that was kind of a status thing. So yeah, I mean, that's honestly, what I was thinking, especially with where you know the apartments that we have today. And seeing the type of apartment living that's available, I would have no issue living in an apartment today. The only problem for me is I have two dogs and I have two cats. And so I think that's a, kind of a, it's a little bit tougher to get an apartment with, with that. So. Well, he said multifamily. So I was thinking like townhouses or, you know. Um, that sure. too. Yeah, I like, like that kind of thing. Yep. Good job, Fia. And by the way, I don't think anybody's ever got a question 100% right. Well, well, that's what you made it seem like. Because they're hard. I know, right? <laughs> question number two. According to a report by Real Capital Analytics, as of 2021, what percentage of multifamily properties in the United States are owned by institutional investors, such as pension funds and real estate investment trusts? Wow, so good question. <laughs> we got beat out a lot by them when we were starting, when we were turning in offers. Um, I would definitely big, say that's Bigger, nicer one. ones. Yeah. 80, 80%, 85. I'll go with 85. I'm not, I'm not going 80. I, I think there's no. a lot of people. I think there's oh, no, a lot of people out there that are. I'm going to say uh, six, 60 again. I'm just going to stick with the same number. Yeah. I was going to say somewhere. I'll, I'll go, I'll go 60. What, what would that be? Let's let's go. Let's go sixty-two. So I'm higher. I knew you were thinking sixty. That's why I threw it out. <laughs> I really was. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly where I was at. Just simply because I think there's a lot of motivated people out there like us that that are able to come in and 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 buy property still too today. I believe in America. 
not just the institution. <laughs> yeah, clearly, yeah. clearly, you don't believe in it enough because it's 25%. Oh, <laughs> no! So we as the people I feel actually, so dumb when we, we do we, these. We rock it. Okay, yeah. No, that, that's bad. Institutions hold their own 20%? Yeah, wow. Okay, well, we better. I have no idea what's going on in the world. I guess (laughs) that surprises. (laughs) The final question: According to WorldPopulationReview.com, which state had the highest job growth percentage from 2021 to 2022? Texas, Mm. Florida, Florida. Yeah, I was going to go Florida as well. I took it from you again. I'm gonna since since she went Florida, I'll 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 go with something different. Um, job growth, job growth. Uh, let's go. Yeah, I don't know. I I North Carolina. Let's just say that. The answer is Texas. Texas. Well, you you know you hear about all the companies going in there. I mean, it's just been a ton since 2021. A ton yeah, moving out of Austin, California and into in Texas. Dallas. Yeah, Florida. Even Waco. With all of the. Mm-hmm. Right in between both of them. I would say with Florida's got to be nestled number two. It's It's got to be number two for sure. There's a lot of job growth coming in Florida too. <laughs> it was nice having you, Quinn. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on, Quinn. We'll definitely get cool. you on again. There we go. Love it. Thank you for listening to the Commercial Multifamily Lion's Den podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, make sure to leave us a like, subscribe, and share with anyone you think can gain value from today's episode. What obstacles are you facing? Let us know in the comments section below, and we'll get to it in a future episode. If you're interested in passively investing with us, you can go to am-multifamily.com, or you can email Fia at am-multifamily.com. Those links will be in the show description along with the Lion's Den Facebook page and website. Thank you and have a roaring day. (laughs) If you don't laugh at that, then you're dead. I love it. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs)